0: On this Memorial Day weekend, I have a series of photos that I would like to show to you because they have bounced around in my head this past week. Um, Mark, Cynthia, there, you blended in and you must have camouflage on today, I couldn't see you. My dear friend um, and his wife Cynthia, Mark was a chaplain, still is a chaplain in the Air Force, but that was your second assignment, right? You know where this is? Anybody know where that is? Arlington. Arlington. Now, if you can believe the internet, and Mark may tell me differently, uh, there are some 400,000 veterans buried at Arlington. Now, not everyone is a uh, war death. Some were those who'd served, and that's where they chose to be buried. Uh, Mark, that is for a chaplain, probably the most intensive grief you will have outside of a war zone he did 730 funerals while he was there and this is not Mark Thomas day but just because I've written OPRs on him they rated him when he was at Arlington number one of like a gazillion captains in the District of Columbia And I'm not talking chaplains this line officer, everything so anyway what a great place to learn and have a guy who's a minister so Everybody knows something about Arlington. Maybe you've been, my little uh, part of southern Illinois has a national cemetery there outside of Mounds, Illinois. And it has uh, Civil War veterans, but uh, go to this next slide. Uh, John A. Logan is from Murfreesboro, Illinois. I've told you this in the years past. That's about 25 miles from my hometown. Uh, Logan was a general in the Union Army who advocated a decoration day. My mom still calls it Decoration Day, although she didn't know Logan, uh, because I think that was 1868 when he got that done. But uh, he's the one we can give credit to a national holiday that now we call Memorial Day. In fact, during his time frame, there was still so much animosity between the Southerners. There's a few Southerners on the back, or at least there's one, I know, in the Northern War of Aggression, I know that they could not uh, find peace and he was able to find a time in the year that both sides could come and honor their war dead. The picture on the right now it gets a little more personal. It was got personal because it was Murfreesboro, that's close to my home in Anna Jonesboro. The next one is a picture that my oldest son took. He's kind of our uh, in-house uh, ancestry guy. Uh, that is what I believe to be my great great grandfather's Tombstone in the Perry Cemetery, which is on a hillside outside of Goreville, where everybody is had to be a Perry to be in there, or at least married to a Perry. Heaven forbid if you're married to a Perry. Sorry, Kaylin, Brenda, others that are here, you know. Whew, yeah, but uh, his name and and Tull and I have argued or not argued. We have debated this one. We think they got his name backwards. Um, he went by the name Crow, he, although he was not Native American. Uh, How's it really pronounced, Tull? Is it Croset is what his name really was? Uh, Crozier. Crozier, excuse me, Crozier. But uh, his dad would be, uh, his son would be Basil. Would follow these names. And his son would be Tull, which would be my grandfather. And my dad was Robert Tull, and that's Tull there. So there you have the genealogy of the Perries. So we're still on Memorial Day. Now let's go to this next one as it gets even more personal for me. Um... That's Lori Meyer, uh, Moyer, uh, her married name is Lawton, your upper left. Uh, she was in our wedding. Got deployed for Desert Shield, a little late. She was actually studying in France as a reserve army officer, and they called her to Saudi Arabia to translate French uh, stuff that the French had donated. So she's translating French stuff, and the war ends. Those of you know, Royce, you up there, you and Heather. What month did you guys come home? April. She could have come home in June, but her husband was there too as a reservist, both activated. They came home in July, or planned to come home in July, but she was killed in a Humvee accident in July before she left country. Step forward to the lady on the right, Phyllis Pelkey, whose son went with Nicholas to high school, right? When he, was he behind you or ahead of you? She was like 30-some-odd years old when 9-11 happened, a school teacher from Albuquerque, New Mexico, Rio Rancho, actually. Uh, those of you who know Albuquerque, uh, north, uh, west side, and felt it her patriot duty to join the Air Force. Uh, she was at uh, Okinawa with me at Kadena Air Base, and we sat beside each other many, many times in staff meetings trying to poke each other to stay awake because they were talking about stuff that the chaplain and the social actions officer didn't really want to hear or listen to, uh, she died in a helicopter crash in Afghanistan with uh, four others. Dale Getz in the center, army captain, first chaplain killed since Vietnam, Afghanistan. Uh, those of you, Royce, you appreciate this. The Patriot unit he had that he was the chaplain for on Kadena. Whenever we had a national prayer breakfast, all the Air Force chaplains, Mark, you appreciate this, you, because you were there, out trying to sell their tickets, you know, would you like to go to the prayer breakfast? It's only $5. You know, the chapel's offsetting it by like $5. Would you like to go? Dale comes up to me as the head chaplain at Cadena and says, Chaplain Perry, how many you want me to sell? I said, uh, many as you can. He goes, well, I got 150 guys in my unit. We'll take 150 tickets. <laughs> he go up to you like John Bradley. Hey, you're going to prayer breakfast. Here's your ticket. Give me five bucks. And that's the way Dale was. So I can see there's no problem. When I read what happened to him, another Humvee had blown up. He and the four guys, or three guys in the Humvee with him went over to help, and they uh, were killed as well. So now it got really personal for me. They had a baby while we were in Okinawa, so that child couldn't have been about five or six years old by the time uh, his dad had died. So Memorial Day... <clears throat> can make you cry, this next photo will make you cry more than any of those personal ones to me. Take some time and look at those sweet, innocent faces. We have 21 flags up here in the baptistry honoring those innocent children and their teachers. Need a personal connection? Marcus, our security guy, who's out here every Sunday, his sister, uh, Irma, I had to make sure I've got the first name, Irma Garcia, was one of the two teachers. And of course, you've known her for the news, and her husband died as well two days after. So Mark is not here this morning. In fact, I told Dan right as I walked in today, I don't know what the church can afford to do, but I would love for us to make some sort of effort to say, Here's $1,000 to help that family do something of that nature. So so that's been bouncing around in my head all week. I've seen houses in my neighborhood with 21 flags. I'm sure you've seen them across town. And then this hits this week. A little different type of tier. There was a 300-page report released that the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Board, it has been determined that they did not act upon incidents of sexual abuse and they failed to take action when abuse occurred in many of our Southern Baptist churches. I bring this up because to not bring it up is to continue to hide what has happened. In fact, two days after that is released this week, the executive board released a list of hundreds of clergy members that have been accused of some sort of abuse. So this morning, I am saddened, I'm angry and my heart is heavy. So today as we look for God's Word, I'm going to tell you to hold your finger at John 4 for another week, and we'll come back to Fatina, the woman at the well, as she talked with Jesus. And we're going to skip to John 11, a similar time when Jesus was saddened, angry, and his heart was heavy. Jesus wept. John 11, verses 32 through 37. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And there's that verse. Jesus wept. Say it with me. Jesus wept. One more time. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. Pray with me please. Our Father, today our hearts are heavy. We're angry and we are troubled. So speak to us through these timeless words, your words provided for us today and help us to find that foundation to stand upon, that hand to pull us through the darkness That light that reveals that this is not the end. And that through faith in Christ Jesus, our lives will be changed when we step face to face to see him in glory. Speak to the hearts of these who are grieving today. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you know I like to quote Spurgeon, considered the prince of preachers, John, excuse me, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He wrote concerning this verse, a Jesus who never wept could never wipe away my tears. Let me say that one again. A Jesus who never wept could never wipe away my tears. In fact, Spurgeon preached two complete sermons on verse 35 alone. Two words. And his sermons weren't 10-minute homilies either. I mean, they were, and I've read at least one of those. I didn't read the other one this week because I thought, I don't want to preach Spurgeon. I can't preach Spurgeon. I'm not a Spurgeon. But, What I did like in one of his, in the sermon I did read about this, he he said, as so many people have argued over the years, if you know anything about Scripture and you know about how the Bible was given to us and it came to us, it did not come with chapters and verses. That was done centuries later. And he said, so many times I've been angry at why this verse started there or that verse ended there or that chapter began and the, the, the theme did not carry through. And it's as if In fact, I've heard this illustration that some friar was riding a donkey, and every time his pen came down, that's where the new verse started. He said, but here, the scribes, the printers, the editor, whomever, got it right. Verse 35 stands on its own. It is a jewel, a diamond that is so multifaceted it had to be carved out to stand alone. Let's set the scene, if you're familiar with it. I, I, I'm sure you are. You've heard of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right? At some point in your lives. Is Mary, the, a little test, is Mary the one who's cooking in the kitchen? Or is it Martha the one who's cooking in the kitchen? Martha. I have an Aunt Martha. Yeah. And she would be in both places. She would have had the best meal, but it would have been done for her to sit at Jesus' feet. These two sisters and their brother Lazarus were an inner circle. I know we always talk about uh, Peter, James, and John being Jesus' inner circle of disciples. These were an inner circle of friends that lived in a town just east of the Mount of Olives. That's in, you know, Olive, Mount of Olives, you could see. Jer- I've never been to Israel, but I'm told and I've seen the maps, it is close enough you could see into the city of Jerusalem. And this place, this home in Bethany, was a place that he could go and have a bit of recharging. It was like his home away from home. He could be with his friends and kind of relax. He loved them and obviously they loved him. And at this point in the gospel Jesus has gone back to the area where he'd been baptizing as as well as John had been baptizing. We just its kind of interesting that we had just talked about that last week that, you know, there was this competition in John 4. We read that they were saying, you know, look, Jesus' guys are baptizing more than John's guys, and, and Jesus decides to leave that area and go into Galilee, and here, uh, goes into Samaria, and here he's gone back to the area where he's been baptizing. So he's away from Mary and Martha's and Lazarus' home. And he gets word, I think it's in uh, verse 4. He gets word in the early part of the chapter that Lazarus is sick. And when he hears this, verse 4, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Verse 14, the word comes that your friend has died. died. Lazarus is is dead, and for your sake... Well, he, he's getting the word that he's dead, but Jesus tells his disciple, Lazarus is not dead. For your sake, I'm glad he was not here, there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And in verse 17, when Martha finally meets Jesus, she says the same exact thing that, that Mary says. Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And I watched one uh, video this week of a preacher uh, acting this part I'm not acting it we're giving you know cuz sometimes we when we see it it's better it's as if she is standing with hand on hip if you had been here he wouldn't have died but if you see Mary's posture she drops to her knees to, to her to his feet and says lord if you had been here he wouldn't have died martha being pragmatic and i love the king james it says Lord, by now he stinketh. Only King James could say stinketh. NIV says it's a, there's an odor. Because he's, he's been in the tomb four days already. Jesus, like you and me this week, was indignant and troubled. Now, to be fair, I don't use the word indignant a lot probably because in Cliff Perry's lexicon it is synonymous with anger. But actually there's a difference when you're indignant versus when you're angry. It comes from a Latin word which means unworthy or unfair. For example, if you push me out of the way at the Baskin-Robbins ice cream, you know, I might get angry. And I, I might, you know, Turn red and snort a little bit. But if you push the little child, I would become indignant. The anger for those who is directed, and it was not worthy. It was unfair. And as I think about this past week, I am indignant when I think of the lives cut short. From military losses, you know, those three people I put up there, didn't get to live the life that they had planned. But yet my tears for them are different than the indignant pain I feel of anger for those 21 that died in Uvalde. I'm indignant when I think that the sanctity of a church has become a hunting ground for predators. I'm indignant that our second amendment has become the right to own weapons that only the military law enforcement and gun collectors should ever own. I'm raised by a policeman. I have guns but there are some weapons I don't need nor will I ever use. I'm indignant that the apathy of the church for sharing the gospel and standing up for scripture has created the wicked world or contributed to the wickedness of the world in which we now live. I had this very conversation with someone in my office. When are we going to stand on scripture versus popular opinion? And remember that this chapter, chapter 11, concludes the intro to the end. From 12 on, chapter 12 on, it is Jesus with his face towards, turned turn towards Jerusalem, the Last Supper, the Passover meal, the Last Supper, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Jesus was indignant. Now, let me read these verses for you again I know you can read them but um, it's in NIV he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled now King James says groaned in spirit and trouble but the word we translate moved or groaned means to snort like a horse it's always fun to see the color of the language I think of more snorting as a bull, a bull snorting before he's getting ready to charge. And Jesus has got this in his nose, in his stomach, in his body. And the other word that we use, troubling in the soul, is agitate. It means to agitate or to shake up. Have you ever seen somebody so angry they start shaking right before you talk to your kids? No, you do not do that. My friends, if you have watched TV, read the paper, surfed the web, got on social media, you have to be indignant and troubled with what happened in Uvalde and in our convention and our events around the events around the world. I know it's an American holiday of Memorial Day, and I pray that you always teach your kids it's not just a, a day to have hamburgers and hot dogs. It, it, it came with a price. But what about the lives that have been lost in the Ukraine? There are 4,000 civilian deaths they're claiming right now. 200 of them are more children. To all this, Jesus wept. And there's that diamond. Jesus wept. If you would in all things imitate Jesus, please note, that it is not written that Jesus thundered or that Jesus second-guessed or that Jesus whined and complained, Jesus simply wept. Let indignation have pity mixed into it. No one benefits from lightning without rain. I mean, if you don't have rain with lightning, what's the use of lightning, right? And thunder. Nor can the Christian have indignation without tears. Jesus wept. I think that's why when I showed that picture, I heard moans and people. We can grieve together. And so we must. We had this discussion on our dinner Friday night because I already knew this is the direction I was going. I wanted to know with the kids what they, uh, having daughter-in-laws, you get to see what other families were like. I spoke, that, and my sister's here, I think I saw my dad cry twice in my life. How many of you saw your parents ever cry? Yeah. And crying is not a sign of weakness. Even though you heard me say before, my dad didn't like crying preachers and I don't like to cry when I'm in the pulpit. But crying is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humanity. I read this thing this week about Abraham Lincoln. You know, I'm from Illinois, land of Lincoln. Did you know that Lincoln cried publicly and privately frequently? But would you ever consider Lincoln to be a weak person or a weak man? No, he was known for wrestling. I think he might have killed somebody before he ever became in public office, but you know, Lincoln, pretty tough old joker. Anybody wear that stovepipe hat? I don't know. But I would have tried to knock it off. Jesus wept. And by Jesus weeping, it shows his humanity throughout the scriptures. We see that fully divine fully human it showed his connection to our grief it shows a response from the father for in John he will say the father and I are one so if he's crying the father is crying because of what he sees Jesus wept because of the connection he had to Mary and Martha and the loss of his friend Lazarus Jesus undoubtedly was sad due to their lack of faith he's had this conversation with martha do you believe in the resurrection and she goes i know they'll rise up again a day and verse 25 i am the resurrection and the life who who believes in me will live and even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me he will never die do you believe this he's asking you that question today do you believe that jesus cried Jesus wept. He was seeing what he would do, have to go through himself. As I said, this begins the persecution, the, the fact that they will look for him to try to kill him or execute him, and he knew the suffering and the death that was waiting for him. If you want to study the original language, and I won't give you the two words, one does kind of sound like cry, but there are actually two different words that are used for cry in these these verses. Uh, where Mary is crying and those potentially professional mourners, because they did have hired mor- mourners in Jesus' day, uh, they are wailing like a foghorn, if you will. They are out and they are screaming. Some of you perhaps have been to funerals where somebody screams out, and wailing And, and there's, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that is the word that is used when Mary cries and those who are there at the scene. But the word that is used for cry for Jesus is a silent falling of tears. Interesting that John uses these two different words. And, and to read much more into that, I think you would be at risk. But it shows that even he who knew what he could do, he knew he was going to bring him back. He knew that he was sent there for a purpose. It was there for the disciples to see. It was a foreshadowing, if you will, of the resurrection that he would experience and that we would share with him together if you have faith in Jesus. But yet he cried because he connected. He cried because he felt their pain. He cried because he had pain. And all these things, Jesus wept. And finally, as we look at this passage, those who saw him crying, verse 37, excuse me, verse 36, see how he loved him. And I add to that, oh, how he loved him. Oh, how he loved them. And oh, how he loves you Today like Mary and Martha there may be many of you asking where was Jesus last week? Why wasn't he there? I believe it's Hebrews 13:5 that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He has not left He was there. And one thing I didn't highlight, maybe I I could have, with Jesus' indignation and his troubling in that earlier point, when he summoned Lazarus from the tomb, and I've heard many preachers say this, you know why he called Lazarus, right? Because if he said, come forth, everybody would have came out of that tomb. But he knew that he was bringing him from a paradise, whether you want to call it heaven, whether you want to call it glory, he was bringing him from the best that you could possibly imagine back to a world where they, in a few verses you will find that they are going to try to kill Jesus because of what he just did. I mean, I think that's verse, where is that, about third, helps when you put your glasses on, Cliff. Verse uh, 46, but some of them, you know, some believe what and put their faith in Jesus. That's verse 45. But Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And they go on to talk about the plot to resolve this one who might change their power of position in their religious seat in the Roman rule. And there they plan to kill the Savior. I want you to know, as Jesus might have bemoaned the fact of bringing Lazarus from the presence of the Father to back to Mary and Martha, those children in Uvalde are in God's presence right now. I have no problem standing before you and saying with all certainty that our God is sovereign. He loves children. Jesus said, Hinder not the little children to come unto me. So please don't come with your hypothetical theological discussions and say, Well, are you sure? I know who God is and I trust in him. And as we think about that, there's no place better they could be. We grieve because we're left behind, we grieve because we don't get to see him graduate. Get married, have babies, become grandparents like some of us. But where they are is better than this world will ever bring. And if you don't believe that, we have another conversation we need to have. Don't fear. Don't fear. Be the change agent in this sinister world. Love like Jesus. Let me show you a verse that came out to me this week as I was thinking about all this too. This is John writing again. This is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We are to love like he has loved us. We are to conquer fear with our love. And we as Christians are to proclaim the biblical hope that we talked about, I don't know, a year ago I did a sermon series on hope. Where hope is the confidence and the assurance that the gospel is true, that the resurrection story is is more than a story. It is fact that Christ is coming again, and for those of us who believe in him, we will have life everlasting with him in eternity. So offer that to those who are grieving, the love that you know through Christ, and the hope, the assurance, that Jesus wants to have a relationship with them. Love like he loves us. Stand with me, please, we pray. Father, at this uh, time in our service, I know that there are still questions in many people's minds and what ifs and should haves, and could haves, and if we would've only. But Lord, it is the moment in the present, in the now, that we seek you to say to our hearts, calm our fears, dry our tears just as your son wept. If we need to cry more, Lord, that's fine. But cry knowing that there is a life after this life and cry because of the loss of not being able to be with that child or cry for those who have been hurt in some of our churches and help us to find love and restoration and find ways to restore brokenness in this world. To work against the sinful living that many pursue and to Seek living with you a holy life, a life walking daily with Jesus. In this worship, Lord, if there's someone who just needs to come to these steps and pray, let them know that there's no burden that they're carrying that they can't let go of here. That Jesus wants to say, let me take it from you. Let me forgive you of what you're carrying. Let me bring you peace because your worry isn't helping. Only his love and forgiveness will do that restoration that we need. So, Lord, move now, we pray. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us, for we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.